Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with Betstamp. Betstamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With Betstamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download Betstamp for free and use code DIMES. That's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, Betstamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about Betstamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. She grew up playing for the Halton Hurricanes and played the OVA Beach Tour, so she's won an indoor provincial championship. She's won a beach provincial championship and a bronze medal. She went on to play for Queen's University, where she's currently in her fifth year. She's an OUA All-Star, and she's already on our senior A team, also played for the Next Gen with Volleyball Canada. You've probably seen her play. Please welcome to the show, Ariel Palermo. Thanks for doing this, Ariel. Thank you for having me. Whenever I hear Halton Hurricanes, I just think of, like, that region of the OVA and how many clubs there are and how many good clubs there are. So I am curious when you were growing up, how young did you enter the club and what other sports were you playing before you took it pretty seriously? I actually began volleyball when I was about six years old. I was just playing um, uh, a summer camp kind of club named Seekers. I started playing at Hurricanes when I was about 11 years old. Um, And I was on that team until 18U. So I played there uh, just about eight years. And I grew up playing many sports. I played soccer. I did cross country. I played basketball in my elementary school as well. And yeah, I played a high level soccer uh, with rep volleyball at Hurricanes up until grade 11. I decided to stick with just volleyball. Nice. So when you say you started at 11, help me with the timeline. Did you play like 13U for like three years or did you always kind of play up a little bit? Um, I played with my age group, but I had like a late birthday. And I played from our youngest team. I did Volley Girls, which is a feeder club into Hurricanes that Hurricanes runs. Um, so I played there. And then I went on to like the first rep team you could be on, which was 12U. And then, yeah, so sorry, 12U to 18U, I played at Hurricanes. Nice. And, and when you yeah. say soccer, because you were also playing indoor and beach, it sounds like your, your two main sports there were almost year round. So uh, how did you manage it? Were your parents just constantly driving you places? Like, how were you taking two sports so seriously? Yeah, so I, for most of my soccer career, played in the local club in Burlington, Burlington Soccer Club. I think it's called Burlington Bayhawks now, I believe. Um, So I played there, and then in my last final years of soccer, I transferred over to Ancaster for a year, and then Stony Creek, um, which were two high-level teams as well. I would, I juggled it, I guess. I would, I remember some nights I'd go to volleyball practice, and if I wasn't that tired, I'd go to soccer after or it was just alternating. Um, but my coaches on both ends were very accommodating to that, um, letting me maybe miss a practice here and there for the other sport. So yeah, it was it was a juggle for sure. Now, looking back, uh, in your own opinion, what makes Halton so competitive? Because it seems like they have good teams at every age group, and it's been that way for as long as I can remember. So is it the coaching? Is it that area? Is it... Uh, how friendly it is for people to commute. Cause I know like being in the Burlington area, I'm sure there's a lot of local players, but a lot of people from outside can drive there too. So what's kind of the secret sauce of why that club's so competitive year after year? I think from a very young age, Halton's very, very good with uh, the technical development. Um, I remember from like my youngest years in volleyball, like 
doing so many drills that now as I'm older, I look back and I'm like, wow, like that was like really good for developing my arm swing, passing, like tracking, like all those small things in volleyball. Um, I think Halton just has a great setup for setting you up for success from such a young age. Um, and they have a great dynamic with all their coaches and like top director who all work together to like help develop athletes, not just every year, but like for their future in sport and volleyball. Halton also, I believe, not the time I was there, it was a bit newer, but they work a lot with Reef um, and strength training and um, encouraging athletes to get into that, which is a whole different ball game when you're doing that, uh, especially from a young age starting up, um, learning how to properly train your muscles and your body to play volleyball and just be strong in general. So yeah, I think Halton has a really good setup for setting up athletes for success with uh, from a young age with technical and strength training and everything. Nice, nice. And you and I were just talking before the show, and I'm fired up because your coach, uh, I'm sure they don't know it, but they're a fan of the show for sure. So uh, can you just share what you talked about where uh, small worlds, uh, you've been passing dimes since I think you've been playing volleyball. Yeah, so uh, my fun fact, my old volleyball coach, one of my first ones when I was about 12 years old, um, he gave me a dime to put on my volleyball shoe um, because we used the saying passing dimes he told me that if I wore this dime, like it, to remind myself that I was going to be the best passer in the country one day, if that was my goal. Um, and I've been wearing that since, and I still currently wear it. I wore it this whole summer through world championships and I'm wearing it now in my fifth year at Queens. Uh, so yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So when you finally chose one sport, cause I think to uh, eventually we, uh, everyone kind of narrows it down. Was it the post-secondary option that you were looking for that you wanted to pursue volleyball at a higher level or what made you finally choose volleyball over soccer? So actually funny story. I was actually looking at, uh, going to D1 schools for soccer. Um, so I was balancing out both options in that, um, it was a very hard decision for me, but it came down to what I felt most confident in and what I loved doing the most. And that, though I did love soccer and I still do, the joy I had from playing volleyball was just like different and unmatched. And that's kind of what made me choose that. Just the thought of something I could see myself doing every day for like the next however many years and still being very happy and like still being in love with the sport. And I think volleyball was that for me, especially with how it made me feel and the confidence and how I felt playing and stuff. So with a club like Halton, obviously you do well in the OVA and you do well at nationals, but they also go to the U S a lot. Were you looking at any NCAA opportunities or what made you want to stay in Canada or stay in Ontario? Mm-hmm. So I was looking at NCAA opportunities. I think Halton also does a great job for setting you up, taking you to the States and introducing you to how that process works. I think for me, I, wasn't sure whether I wanted to go to the States or Canada, but as I was getting more serious, looking into schooling, what I wanted to study, um, I felt like my best options for me were to stay in Canada with the program I wanted to study, as well as the OUA being a very competitive in youth sports in general. I felt that it would still challenge me um, and push me. So yeah, that was kind of my main things for staying in Canada. Also just hearing great experiences from past uh, Hurricanes athletes. And yeah, just growing up watching McMaster women's volleyball play. It's right in my backyard as I'm from Burlington. Um, So yeah, that was nice. And as you narrowed it down, what stood out that Queens was going to be the best situation for you? 
Um, I really liked their setup for their athletes coming in in first year. They have a really good adjustment program. We call it Gales 101, where athletes go and they meet other athletes in their programs and are mentored by older varsity athletes. Um, I liked the setup they had with that. I really liked the coaching. Um, Ryan, my coach here, Ratushniak, he's coached with the national team program before and um, is a great coach. And from my first initial meetings with him, I was able to feel very comfortable and knew I could, I could tell he knew so much about volleyball and was going to develop me and coach me at this next level. Um, and then I also just love the atmosphere of Queens university. It's a very great school. It had the programs I wanted and just everything around it was ideal for me. So when you look back, uh, all, all the way to first year here, cause it feels a while with the COVID pause and you've been within mm-hmm. your fifth year, uh, you mentioned people in your program who are also varsity athletes, but was there any varsity volleyball players that stood out like any vet that kind of made you feel comfortable or what's the team culture like kind of looking back at first year through fifth year now? Um, the team culture has been great. Um, coming in my first year, one of the girls in fourth year on my team, Sierra Hardy, she actually was a former hurricane athlete. So I was able to connect with her before coming to Queens. Um, and she helped me a lot with like adjusting and asking all, like I could ask her all my questions about Queens university. Um, so she made me feel very comfortable as, as well as all my other teammates. Um, and then I think our culture has just continued to grow over the years at Queens. We have a lot more girls now from the GTA area clubs and like the OVA. And I feel like everyone kind of knows everyone before they came here. So that's been really cool to kind of like see people I've maybe played or saw at beach volleyball tournaments. And now we're all teammates. Um, so that's been fun. Now, anyone who's seen Queens play just knows the the, the depth that team has. And uh, Coach Ryan isn't afraid to make a sub, whether it's a double sub or, or mixing it in. So how did you guys as players develop that trust where maybe your number is get, not getting called that night, but you can still support and you can still cheer on the other athletes where uh, I've seen you guys play. The, the bench doesn't really mope around, but man, does Ryan use all his subs sometimes. Yeah, we have a very deep team. And I think it's almost like it's nice to know that even if, someone's not having their best day. We have so many people around that are supporting and everyone's so talented. We don't need just one person to perform to win. And I think with all the subs and everything, our team just has such a great dynamic of we support each other so much and we want us, like we want to win as a group. Like we win as a team, we lose as a team is our saying. So yeah, I think we also do some mental performance training, which is really big. Um, I'm a big advocate for it. And it just allows you to kind of focus on yourself and what mindset you need to be in to perform well, as well as supporting your team. And that allows for some great conversations between us as a team to have, to understand how people feel and how we can help each other out. And when did the national team really feel like a real possibility for you? Like, did you attend an open tryout or because of the COVID years, did you have to apply online and submit video? Like what was your entry point into Volleyball Canada? Um, so in my first year, actually at Queens, Ryan, um, was pushing me to try out for one of the national team programs, whether that was the Fichu games team, next gen or a, and I just kind of felt at that point, I was still feeling a little too young to go and do that. And I just didn't know what it really meant. So I waited until I believe last year and it was just end of COVID. So we had an online application. So I did that. I submitted it and I got chosen to be on the team. So we all kind of just showed up last summer um, from being selected from online applications. And then um, 
like in highlight videos and stuff were obviously submitted. Um, and then we trained all summer and that was on the next gen B program. And I actually didn't make our tournament at the end of the summer with the team as it was a hybrid between senior A and the B team to go. Um, so that motivated me even more to work harder this past season at Queens. And then I, again, went to try out in person this time for the B team. And there was some talk about maybe A. And then it ended up that I had a good tryout and impressed the coaches. So they uh, took me on to the A team this summer. Nice. And at the time, were you aware of the depth chart? Because I think uh, I might be aging myself here, but uh, the previous generation, like Kristen Monks and Cassie, like those athletes have moved on. Were you aware that there was a spot available at the libero position? Like, were you thinking A team when you tried it again? I think this past summer, I they had mentioned how they were, if like they were still looking for a spot for A. So we, we all like everyone going to that tryout, that there was an option for it for a libero. Um, but I personally did not want to put that much pressure on myself uh so I just kind of went in no expectations just I was just going in to just play and leave with no regrets leave it all on the court so yeah I I knew it at the back of my head but I didn't put too much of an expectation on myself and how did you find out you were going to go to VNL and world championships I imagine it was two different announcements because it was two different rosters but do you remember how you found out and how you felt yeah so well, we knew at the end of tryouts, we were told if you were on the A or B team. So I knew I was on A. So that right from there, it starts training camp for VNL. Um, and basically how VNL worked, there's three rounds um, in pool play. And right before our first round at the end of our training camp, we were training in Edmonton at the time uh, as we were playing in front of the groups who were there to watch the nationals for uh, the club. At the end of that training camp, I actually just got COVID. So I wasn't able to compete for that first round of VNL um, as I wasn't allowed to travel for 10 days because it was in the States. Uh, so I just recovered and went to train with the B team. And then there was a week where the A team came back and was in Vancouver before the second round in the Philippines of VNL. Uh, so that week was very intense. And I ended up making the VNL roster for that second week and then following the third week as well in Calgary. Um, and those were two very big moments for me. Just, yeah, being there was three liberos this summer on the A-team. So it was very competitive. And Julia and Kat, our other two liberos, are very talented as well. So, uh, yeah, we pushed each other in the best way. Um, learned a lot. And then for the world championships, um, we battled it out to keep training and then Kat um she goes to school in the states so she went back so me and Julia knew we were both going to worlds and then it was a matter of who was playing so as you mentioned though it's interesting that all three liberos are still playing post-secondary so I'm curious how did you feel comfortable for the level like obviously you guys can push each other and share information but is there another receiver on the team who kind of talked about like what to expect from international volleyball or were you going in pretty just blind and excited um, our teammates helped us out a lot, like tons. Like this was my, other than the previous summer, this is my second time playing libero. Um, so I have a lot to learn and I still do. Um, but yeah, no, the support system on the national team was incredible. Our coaches were incredible. They helped me a lot. Like I didn't ever feel underprepared for games or any situation that they put me in. I felt very prepared 
Um, and we have a saying, train hard. We don't train easy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an adjustment, but I was very ready for it. So with you being a left side at the U sports level on a libero with our national team, obviously I think anyone who's seen you play would say like you're a ball control left side and you do have passing skills, but were there some challenges with you learning a new position, especially at that high of a level? Yeah, at the beginning, it was definitely hard because defense is in five versus I've always played in six. Uh, serve receive is pretty like it's the same with like serve receive but the ball is just it's a faster speed a faster pace um there's a lot more spin servers um at the u sports level i haven't really seen too many spin servers in that in this level um at the league so that was an adjustment um and then defensive five was a big adjustment especially at the speed of the game that we play at with playing the top people in the world. Um, it was definitely an adjustment to learn, but um, yeah, I had, uh, the coaches really helped me with that. And I was able to like kind of piece together small things and like work through defense progress- progressively, um, learning new cues and stuff. And what did you find was the the best way just to get comfortable with your teammates, whether it was, uh, I don't know, something informal, like going for a coffee or just asking them questions in the gym, because uh, I know there is a youth movement on the national team and some young athletes are starting like Hillary and Kira and them, but uh, you're also pretty young. And like Jen Cross seems to be there, like as the true vet. And there's some other athletes who have, have way more experience, right? So uh, how are you getting comfortable with some people who've played professional volleyball for maybe as long as you've been playing volleyball? I don't know if it's that long, but there, there's definitely some vets on the squad, right? Yeah. Um, the girls were all awesome. They're all very nice people. Um, and I think, in volleyball, it's very intense and everyone's very focused. So like there's like, everyone's there to train. No one's there to like, you're not there to like chit chat. You're like there to get the job done and play. I think I took advantage of my opportunities outside of volleyball. So whether it was between lunch or between sessions or anything like that, um, I would always be with the girls and yeah, I would pick their brains about pro to hear about it as I'm hoping now to play pro. And just like learning about each other as people, um, that was really big. And yeah, it was great. They made me feel very welcome from the start. Um, And as I got more and more comfortable, I felt like I was able to continue to perform even better um, with the support everyone was giving me. Now, did you find any challenges with the position in terms of just uh, being in the flow of the game and controlling your emotions? Because as a left side, you can terminate points and you could be serving, you could be getting kills where as a libero, really, you're just passing and digging and supporting your teammates, right? So was there any challenges about not being a point scorer that you had to get over learning the new position? I think it was definitely an adjustment. Um, I think for, for me as a left side, if I make an error, it doesn't feel as bad because I know I can make up for it with a kill or a serve or something like that. I think for libero, it was an adjustment for me because you can only make errors. You can't really make points or you can't get points. You can create the start of getting points though, by like making a good pass, like allowing our team to be in system, dictating the speed of like a set for the pins for us. But um, I think that was an adjustment for me that I uh, adapted to throughout. But yeah, it was an adjustment for sure. And just finding like, different ways to celebrate so like when my teammates get a big kill it almost felt like when i get a big kill like it, it was just finding a new way to look at the game and to embrace points and to like fire everyone up yeah 
Now, with your your personal goals and also your team goals at Queens, was there any part of you that really wants to play libero, or you were excited to go back and have another chance to play left side before you kind of commit to libero? Like, uh, obviously, at Queens, you guys have a couple of good liberos, so maybe it is an opportunity for you to play and fill a role with the team to be a left side. But uh, how did you feel going back to U Sports and playing a different position? I think it's definitely adjusting back and being patient with myself. I have taken uh, seven, eight months off of playing left side, but. Um, my team here has been really supportive. My coaches have been great. Um, and yeah, it's been an adjustment. I love playing libero. I love playing left side. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a change of pace in the game, but, um, yeah, it's been fun. I like, I like new challenges. I'm a very competitive person. So all of these new obstacles are always fun for me. I love how you mentioned how competitive you are because I, I understand that the uh, women's national team has some pretty gnarly warm-up games and it's usually young versus old. So did yeah. that make you feel comfortable just knowing that like when it's time to work, everybody's super competitive and it gets pretty heated sometimes? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely fun. We do those young versus um, those tennis games. We do them at the beginning of every game day. They're definitely something I look forward to. We have a big rivalry going on. Um, I think young were able to take it out this time at the end of Worlds. So, uh, but I do know that the, the older group beat us in VNL. So we're waiting to break, have that tiebreaker this coming VNL. Now, you mentioned in club, you had some pretty technical coaches, and now you're at a top university and playing for the national team. How do you still fire yourself up or get eager to learn? Because uh, you must have passed thousands upon thousands of volleyballs. Like, does it ever get tedious for you or you're always just excited to get back in the gym and keep improving? Um, I'm always excited to get back to the gym and keep improving. I think I love playing volleyball and I think sometimes that can um, get away from me with like stressful moments or like if things aren't going great. And I think just grounding myself back to how fortunate I am to be able to play the sport I love and play at university and play on the national team with all these amazing people around me. Um, I think that's kind of what keeps me going. And I think I always believe I can learn more no matter how many balls I pass. Like there's always something I can continue to learn. Um, I think now at this point though, when I do make errors passing, I pretty much know what exactly what happened or what was wrong. Um, but even throughout my career, I've always had new coaches every couple of years and now working with a new set of coaches, the national team, each coach has, new techniques, new tactics, new things to help you get better or improve. And I think it's, I'm very fortunate to be able to have had so many great coaches. And now I kind of get to piece together what, what works for me and what makes me the best passer. So as you climb the level, obviously the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is just the speed of the ball. And you mentioned like the, the speed that float serves and more athletes are spin serving. So just for context for our listeners, like, is it fair to say at VNL and world championships, some of these float serves are like high sixties or even in the seventies? Um, the Spencers would be about a hundred to 120, hundred, hundred to 110 kilometers would be the difference. Um, and then I would say a float would be around 80 kilometers. 80 inbounds. That is so gnarly. 70 so to 80. Yeah. So as you're getting, like, how are you getting used to this? I don't think you guys are obviously using like a serving machine on the road. So when you're doing like a morning serving pass, how are you feeling confident for the match that day? For me, I find my confidence through my training. So like knowing I put in the work, that's how I find my confidence. So uh, adjusting to new gyms, adjusting to different servers for me, um, I always just go back to uh, knowing that I put in the work in my training. Um, and that's what gives me confidence. 
even if things aren't always going great, I know I can pass. Um, and that's kind of just like what I tell myself, um, and approaching every play, like it's a new, it's a new ball. It's a new point. It's a new opportunity, um, versus reflecting back on maybe mistakes or anything like that. Now, anyone who's been lucky enough to see uh, our national team coach Shannon present, she really values the serve and pass game. And I, I think she can be pretty demanding on the position. So uh, anything you can share with us in terms of what the national team really values or taught you without sharing too many secrets behind the curtain here. But uh, when you're working with the senior A team, any tips or things that you've picked up that you could pass on to us? I think, well, yes, we really emphasize serve and pass. And I do think um in order to win games, I think teams need to be winning that serve and pass battle because uh, even though you can get some really big kills by controlling the game and running your systems and having good passing and good serving, that's what, in my opinion, I think uh, can allow a team to win. Um, Something that I've really taken away from the national team is how you approach every point and every ball. And I've never been challenged so much to reset so quickly, no matter like what the previous play was like being super intentional with the next one. I would say that's my biggest takeaway. Um, I used to be an athlete growing up. I would get pretty frustrated if I was making a lot of errors and it would kind of sometimes be a spiral. And I found that as I've grown, gotten older, done more more mental training with many different coaches. And now with the national team, I've realized how important it is to be able to mentally reset between each play and allowing yourself to be free and be super dialed in with what you're currently doing versus reflecting on the past or thinking too much ahead to the present. Yeah. If it's not too personal, it, could you share your reset? Like, do you, do you clap? Do you hit your leg? Do you look at the antenna? Like what is your reset when you're feeling stressed? My reset for me, I actually also play beside my dime on my shoe. I do play with a pink ribbon. Um, and my ribbon to me, uh, has a significant meaning. It's, um, to remind myself of being grounded and kind of just like how fortunate I am to be where I am and to like, kind of let things go that are out of my control and like, just to be focused and to be present. So I will look down at my shoe and that is next to my dime. So it reminds me that I'm also the best passer and it just kind of gives me a little confidence and a little grounding moment. Um, and that's something that I play with every day on my shoes. So, yeah. Very cool. Uh, so with the libero position, obviously they're, they're not named team captain very often because I, I might have to check on this. I don't even think you can be under the rules or because you're leaving the court on and off. It just doesn't happen. But there's still a lot of coaches that demand the position have leadership. So with you being so young with the national team, were you comfortable right away to be calling seams, moving receivers, yelling at the blockers if they didn't take the right assignment? Like, how did you get into that role? Because uh, a libero can bring so much value outside of touching the ball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing for me learning with the libero is yeah, that part of the role that comes like you should be the loudest on the court. You do run the back row, like you help your passers. So I don't necessarily tell people what to do, but I encourage people and I want my teammates to feel supported. And I felt for me just by voicing, like calling scenes, calling things, like just being vocal allowed everyone more clarity while we were playing as a team. And, um, yeah, I didn't view it as a way of like telling people what to do because that would have made me too nervous. Um, but just like encouraging my teammates and creating an environment where everyone's on the same page. And yeah, so um, that was something big too that the national team and I feel like every coach I've had with liberos has um, encouraged them to do. So that was a new role for me to step into. 
Um, but yeah, the, everyone made me feel very comfortable to be able to do that and like, feel like I could be vocal on the court. So it was good. Now we've been lucky over the years to get some really awesome guests uh, on the show. And we had a uh, Justine Wong Arantis from team USA. And she mentioned being a libero there that uh, there's like a culture in the USA who absolutely hates midline passing right now. And they think just the angles are better outside your body. I'm curious what your opinion would be as a top receiver in the world. Uh, if you were coaching a youth team right now, would you try to start with the midline or do you see the value of what like USA volleyball is really pushing with this uh, get outside your body a little bit and create angles? I do see the value in creating angles. Um, I, from a young age, have also been taught how to create angles and pass with my angles, not just the midline. I think it's something that even though at the younger age groups, passers have time to move and take it in their midline, to develop passing with your angles can be a big benefit, especially as you get older and the pace of serves and everything gets faster. Um, One big thing that we talk about the national team is just time on serve receive and defense is just so valuable so if you can create an angle and put your arms out that saves you time versus moving your whole body behind the ball so just put like angles allow you to like play with the game at a faster pace so whether it's an 18 club or through university the pace is going to be picking up um and on the national team so by being confident and able to pass with angles i think is a big, big benefit for passers and when you're playing defense, uh, would you mind sharing your eye sequence? Because I think the, the game is incredibly fast, but I'm curious, like the old adage of like ball setter, ball hitter, I'm wondering if that's happening too fast and like how quickly are you getting able to look at the hitter or what are some cues you look for? Because some of these scanning reports, obviously you can tell what somebody's primary shot is, but let's be honest, some of the athletes you're playing against have every shot. So you kind of have to be able to read the hitter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my biggest thing that I noticed is being able to read the hitter in their arm. I actually, I look like ball setter on defense, ball setter, and then ball. Um, But being able to kind of get a view of the hitter and not actually the ball was my biggest thing because it gives me an almost like an extra second to notice what they're doing by the angle or the way their arm's coming in. And by being able to look at that, I like lose the ball for the second and watch their hand and look at where they're about to contact it. And then that allows me to move like a split second earlier to get into the defensive position to dig the ball now is there anything hitters can do to disguise this or when you're really working your eye work like the the arm swing has a definite tell if you can get enough time on it i think the arm swing has a big tell i think um for the most part in the direction like if they were to change up to a tip like it would be they could ma- like mask it if they came in aggressive with their arm swing but i do think at the end of the hit it does have a tell um but yeah, it's a it's a pretty hard read to make. I'm still I'm still working on it. So, but if you can read the hitter's hand and hitter's arm, it'll give you that extra second on defense. And as a hitter, I think just hitting the ball at the, as hard as you can and hoping to get that point and that angle you're coming in on. And uh, when you're playing in five specifically. Are the blockers giving you signs? Do you just get trusted that you have to know the game plan? They have to know the game plan. Like, I'm wondering how you're sharing that relationship of like this hitter, we're going to give more line this hitter. You're going to play like a little bit more in the five, six seam, like on cross court attacks. Are you creeping in? Are you staying perimeter? Like how much information are you responsible to kind of know inside and out? And how much is being like shared on the court? Um, Yeah, it's actually, our game planning is pretty intense. Like our information that we should know before a game is it's, 
when you get more into it, it gets simpler, but like it is a lot like on this type of set, we know with this hitter, what we're blocking. And sometimes it's usually the same for most teams, but sometimes with specific hitters who have specific tendencies, we'll change a thing here or there. Um, I think as a team, we always remind ourselves on the court. So like the blockers will throw up like signals behind their backs when we're for the defensive line. And we'll point out before the point happens, like who's front row, who's back row, who's like key on. And um, if there's a specific hitter who has specific tendencies, we'll point out what we're doing really quickly um, as a team to help each other out. So we're all on the same page. And what have you found uh, in terms of simplifying this helps the best? Because I think there's, there's people out there who want to know what rotation they're in and what the distribution is. And this player is going to get this percentage. And then there's a lot of successful defenders who just say, okay, if the right side's in the front row, we're going to do this. If the right side's in the back row, we're going to do this. Like how have you uh, absorbed a lot of information and data with also simplifying the game? I think it comes to knowing yourself. And like, for me, I'm not someone that does, I'm not great at knowing 30 things going on at once. It doesn't allow me to play free and just be dialed in. I feel too caught up with some things. So I will take game plans and simplify them to myself um, and give myself little cues. So yeah, I'll kind of just look at different tendencies and do film before and do things. But when it comes to the game, I find as the game's going on, I'll pick up on the tendencies live in person. So like, if I know this person likes to hit cross, like I can see their arm swing and see their approach. And like, as the game's going on, I get more and more used to it and making those quick like adaptations throughout. So when you go back to uh, your U sports team at Queens and you're playing six now, what are some challenges with the positions? Cause I would imagine playing six back in U sports again, with the speed of the game and some of the gifted attackers, like, how are you understanding depth? Because I'm sure there's times where you want to be playing like high off the hands or there's times you're going to have to charge a seam or there's athletes who can absolutely like pin a ball very like shallow, right? So how are you figuring out like your depth and where you should be positioning when you're playing six? For six, so I was I found when I was adjusting back, I six, how we play at Queens is we do reading. We don't do like a, like you don't, I'm not told to stand line or stand over cross. Like I, my coach allows me in six to just kind of read the play and, pick where I go um so I'd stay a bit more deep in the court unless if our blockers aren't closed and there's a big seam I'll step into that seam because like nine out of ten times hitters are usually hitting into a big seam if there is one um so just kind of reading the play like that is kind of what I've been doing um and I'll stay deeper if the block's closed because chances are the hitter's going to do a deep roll shot like that I would have to get or they're going to hit high off hands and I can make a better move if I'm stopped on defense for that. Yeah, this has been awesome. And I don't want to take away from your offensive game because obviously you're very good as an attacker. It's just nice to have a national team libero on the show. But uh, in the subject of attacking, what are you trying to manage? Because now not only are you passing and digging, but now you're responsible to score points. So what do you like uh, Coach Ryan to provide in a game plan? Do you like to play free? Do you want matchups? Do you have certain shots you want to hit? Like when you're responsible to get kills, where does your mind kind of go in the lead in? Um, I like to know, well, for each team, we'll game plan before and we'll kind of look at the other team's defensive, like set up what they, where they go on like a pipe attack, where they set up on a left side attack and all of them. Uh, for me specifically as a left side hitter, I like to see where six is. Um, and I like to see where their one defender and off blocker are. Um, and that will kind of dictate the shots I'll pick on for each team. Um, so if there's an open high line roll shot I'll aim for that with specific teams and some teams it's more 
deep pot or short pot, uh, depending on where they put their defensive lineups. Now, for lack of a better term, I, I don't know if it's fair, but I'm just going to say it uh, as an undersized outside hitter right now in the OUA. Um, where did you get the confidence to challenge the block? Because I think a lot of young athletes are almost afraid, or I think in our sport it gets overblown where like if you hit a ball out of bounds, it doesn't have the same like social pressure that like getting blocked does because the whole gym doesn't go like, ooh, right? So uh, as a young athlete, how did you get so confident like being able to challenge the block? And sometimes you get blocked, but sometimes you also tool them like big time into the bleachers, right? Mm-hmm. I find the times when I miss and make more errors is when I try to avoid the block. I think the block is not something to be afraid of. I think I found confidence in finding ways to use the block to my advantage. Um, so for example, if a block blocks really closed, finding the new shot, which might be just over it, um, or pushing the ball into the block and wiping it off their hands. If the set's tight, um, or hitting high hands, because as a blocker, the most frustrating thing is when someone hits just off the top of your fingertips, you can't control it. Um, to just finding new ways to hit and not being afraid of a block, I think. Um, yeah, I think that would be how I found the confidence to go up against blocks and being smart about the choices I make when given the balls I'm given. Now, just to look at this season specifically, obviously with the OUA kind of massaging the format where I don't think there's divisions anymore. I think every team is in like one big standing, right? So what's it been like uh, just understanding the strength of schedule, playing different teams? Because during COVID, I believe they did go to a true East-West. So now you're you're playing the whole province again. And, and man, there's a lot of special players in the league this year. So uh, how have you guys mm-hmm. kind of uh, developed and looked at the schedule and just kind of got used to different matchups and playing really good teams every weekend? Mm-hmm. Um, it's been great. I think our team has continued to grow. Um, I think it's a great opportunity on weekends to play new teams that we haven't seen in years. Like I haven't played. We recently played Mac and I haven't played them at home since my first year. Uh, we went to McMaster to play and upcoming, we're going to have Brock near the end of the season and Waterloo. And I haven't played in those gyms since my first year either. Um, so I think we're all pretty pumped about it. It's nice to play against new teams uh, just because we played a lot against our division uh, the last year and a bit. Um, So it's a great opportunity to continue to develop in game um, and play great volleyball. Um, So yeah, just looking at it um, in that way, it's been really exciting and really fun and really cool to see how our team has like taken that opportunity and run with it. So now as a squad, do you guys like to just, play each game and you're very like process driven or is there like an outcome goal you're chasing and you're talking about like where you want to finish or you want to go to nationals like how as an athlete do you manage like your goal setting um our, our outcome goal is to go to nationals and to win a national championship um and an oua championship on the way i think i've learned a lot that uh, being focused on the task is how I perform my best. I think looking too far ahead into outcomes creates too much stress and takes away from what I'm currently doing. Um, I think as an athlete, the biggest thing I've learned through my career has been to set mini goals because setting mini goals allows yourself to feel more accomplished, grow in your confidence and have fun with what you're doing. I think sometimes setting goals that are really big, um, it, you don't, I felt like I wasn't as present with the process and what I was doing. Um, so for my personal growth and development and everything, I felt that I have my big goals in mind, but by creating mini goals to achieve, to get there is how you'll get there. 
I think sometimes by creating just a big goal and not looking at the process, um, it didn't allow me to get to where I wanted to go. And with the strength of the OUA schedule this year, how have you found a way to keep adapting? Because uh, I imagine the game plan on the first game isn't going to work in the game plan in the second game. What I mean by that is uh, U of T, you beat them 3 nothing, but then the next night it goes to 5, and it's a really tight match, 18-16 to the third. Uh, you lose to TMU, you come back, you beat them the next night. Like You lose in 5 and then beat them 3 nothing. Uh, same thing with York, you lose in 5, you beat them 3 nothing. So it, it's just so crazy that every game is up for grabs, but I'm wondering... When you guys are, are prepping for game two, what are some adjustments or things that you're looking for to, so you can be ready? I think our biggest thing with going into game two is we try and go with the mindset of a clean slate, zero, zero, um, and playing free and playing with like, the, we know their tendencies now, but especially by the second game, we know their tendencies and like, like making those adapt, like, those changes on defense and where we're hitting and things like that, but also sticking back to our game plan. We're very strong. Like we have a very tough serving team, which sometimes results in a lot of serving errors, but we know that's our game plan and we do have a very good reception on our team. So using those to our strengths and um, allowing ourselves to play the type of volleyball that we want to play. um, That's kind of just what our, reset game plan is going into the doubleheader weekends now i love that because i think every volleyball player knows that you need to serve tough to have success and that continues as you keep going to the higher level but i think it's such a casual thing that either parents or casual fans oh we're missing too many serves or we can't miss serves so how do you guys manage that we're like you're right there there are going to be some nights where maybe you guys miss maybe 8 10 12 serves in one set so how are you having the mindset to be aggressive but also like not getting distracted or upset that you're, you're giving away points at times. Um, I think it's a very tough thing to do because you want to go back. You want to go hit a hard serve, but sometimes you're like, Oh, I don't know if it's going to go in, but I find whenever you try to take stuff off your serve, it still ends up not working for me at least. Um, So our team, we have a saying between a couple of us players, we say, just go put in a game serve. Don't put in a practice serve, a practice serve insinuating you miss or something like that. And a game serve just, by giving yourself that mental prep, doing your service routine, taking that deep breath before the serve and just like trusting in knowing that you put in a thousand serves even more in your career. And the, this one's going to be another one. Um, and kind of just taking that pressure off and allowing yourself just to go really serve and not thinking too much about it. Now, this reminds me of an earlier point you brought up just about the speed that some athletes are hitting it at World Champs or VNL. So uh, I'm curious with the scouting plan, how accurate can some of these athletes be? Like if you're hitting 100 on your spin serve or you're hitting high 60s or, or more on a float serve, is it fair to say those athletes can target or are they hitting like cutting the court in half and hitting their best serve? Like uh, I'm just curious how much they can control this at the speeds they're hitting. I, from my experience with them, I think they can control it. Um, I've seen some wicked servers this summer against me um, and my teammates as well. But um, yeah, I I've personally shanked a spin serve from uh, the Serbia MVP of world championships. And she targeted me right after the next one over a hundred kilometers. So I know that they can target. Um, and then it's just a matter of kind of reading the ball and making sure you're getting into the right spot when you need to as a passer. Now, uh, 
I don't want this to sound like you're at fantasy camp or like it was a big deal because obviously you're competitors and you're going to have another big summer and you're, you're going to go to the Olympics. But was there anyone you've got to play against internationally that you're like, that was a cool experience. I'm going to remember this one. Honestly, it felt pretty surreal playing against any other country. Um, even just playing with my own teammates, I was like, whoa, fangirling at the beginning. Um, but yeah, I think there's been many teams um, that I looked at and was just like, wow, I think for me, there's so many talented volleyball players that I got to play with and play against. Um, but for me, my most, like I think, surreal moment was just the environment of playing in Poland against the host team Poland. Um, I think that was my big moment where when I realized like how just how big this truly was. Um, there was almost a sold out crowd in that gym of about like 11,000 people. And it was, uh, yeah, the most insane environment I've ever played in. We went to five sets losing 15, 13. Um, but it was just the coolest volleyball game I've ever played. So for anyone who wants to follow your career pretty closely here, so we're in the second semester in OUA, uh, nationals are in March. And then when would you have to report to the national team? Because uh, VNL starts in May this year. Yeah. So I'll be reporting back May, early May beginning um, and training, training camp pretty much right up until VNL starting. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure it might start end of May or it might start beginning of June. I can't, exactly remember but i know i will be starting with them on may may 4 yeah i think you're right i think it's either very late may or very early june it just seems like a, a pretty short turnaround time between u sports and pro but uh, i think that's the life of the national team and, and vnl and all the other matches we're spoiled watching so uh you just seem to be yeah. going from one season to another yes i am <laughs> <laughs> well this has been awesome to get you on the show and hear about your career so far uh one tradition we've built into the show is just to share a funny or unique story at the end so Obviously, you've had some great experiences, but I was hoping maybe something odd or funny happened along the way so you could give us a story. Um, yeah, so I thought about this, and my story that I could most recently remember that was funny was back in my 18U year, we were in a pretty big uh, tournament in the States. I believe we were even ranked pretty high up going into this tournament, and we were just at the end of pool play, and our playoffs were starting for the day. And our whole team all of a sudden heard that Kobe Bryant was in the gym because his daughter was playing at this tournament in the younger age groups, but he was there watching. And our team just, as soon as we heard, it's like we forgot we were currently in a tournament. We like ran through this gym, like this whole convention center, you know how big they are in the States, trying to find Kobe. And we're running around all of us. We ended up finding him, but he had security and everything. So we couldn't go talk to him, but we were all just in awe. We were standing there. We were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's him in person. Um, and then all of a sudden we start getting all these phone calls. We're all like, what? We kind of forgot we had a game, a playoff game starting. And luckily one of our teammates missed the whole group of us running out to find Kobe. So our one teammate was able to be like, she was at the court she was able to go up for the coin toss and everything, but we almost got, um, we almost had to forfeit our playoff game due to us running through this convention center, trying to find Kobe Bryant. <laughs> no way. Uh, <laughs> did coach understand? Cause I mean, come on, it's Kobe or were they pretty upset? I think coaches understood, but they were pretty upset. We did get a team talking to, but, uh, yeah, I remember I was captain of the team at the time, too. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I was like, how many times do you get to meet Kobe Bryant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine 
Kobe would have had like a, an aura. And then I, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but you're right. Like he definitely traveled with security, right? Like that guy's just not sitting in the gym with the rest of the parents. I don't feel. No, there is def- there is a couple security. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ariel, this has been so awesome. So good luck the rest of your season with Queens. Uh, good luck uh, with the national team this summer. This has been awesome. And we'll be rooting for you. Thank you. I appreciate it.